Hello everyone, welcome to the first episode of the Fitness Contrarian Podcast. My name is Mike Cola and I've been a fitness trainer and gym owner for over 30 years now. And in this first episode, first I want to talk about what this Fitness Contrarian Podcast is going to be all about, the topics and the philosophy behind the podcast. And then I want to talk about, you know, give you a little, introduce myself to you, tell you how I got, how I got involved in the fitness business. And in that process of, of me telling you how I got involved, I'm going to go through the hierarchy of gyms. I want to talk about some of the first gyms that I joined back when I was in high school in 1978. You know, actually, I'm probably one of the first, like, generation personal trainers in the New York, New York City area. You know, I started doing personal training back in the mid, mid to late 1980s. I mean, and I've actually been doing it ever since. So if you're kind of like a fitness enthusiast or just interested in knowing how gyms have evolved over the years, I think you're going to find this podcast that one interesting. Also, <laughs> I'm actually walking during this podcast. Now, part of my fitness routine right now is that once every three, four days, I take a nice, long, easy walk. This is my long two-hour easy walk day. I love that Phil Maffetone formula, your max aerobic heart rate, 180 minus your age. You know, I'm 56, so I keep my heart rate, rate like below 124 beats this whole time doing this two-hour walk, burning some fat, building a nice aerobic base. Okay, let's let's, let's talk about what Fitness Contrarian is going to be about. Okay, this podcast, I'm going to talk about all contrarian topics when it comes to fitness, health, and nutrition. I'll give you an example. Let's talk about the carnivore diet. Like, the carnivore diet now is a very contrarian thing to do. I'm sure mainstream nutritious, mainstream people just in general think that's crazy. I'm only going to eat actually meat you know that I'm not eating any vegetables I'm not eating any grains that's somewhat of a contrarian topic but it'd be nice to like I can see myself interviewing someone who's doing it has success with it so that would be a, a topic another example of a nutritional type topic that's somewhat contrarian you know I've been intermittent fasting now and I've had a lot of my clients do it for over nine ten years I know I was introduced to it from some of those original programs you know, the eat stop eat stop eating or lean gains you know back nine ten years ago i've been doing it ever since but back then nine ten years ago that was really contrarian people thought you were crazy if you were skipping a meal <laughs> just skipping breakfast was like oh my god how, how can a fitness trainer be recommending skipping breakfast now fast forward 10 years later a lot of science is supporting intermittent fasting time restricted eating fasting in general i personally still do it on a regular basis you know pretty much i'm a 16 8 guy six days a week I'm an OMAD, one meal a day on Sunday, and then I take diet breaks and feed days periodically when I feel the need. You know, I like to take a week off and then I eat carbohydrates for a week because I'm also like somewhat of a modified keto guy as well. Like I know these diets are not for everyone, but hey, these are all great contra- contrarian topics we could be talking about in this, um, in this podcast. Okay, now let's go over how I got started in fitness, Let's talk about some of the early gyms I've joined. I'll talk about like my gym now. I'll talk about the gym where I'm working at in as well. Okay, back in back in high school, I don't know, maybe I'm 15, 16 years old. This is 1977, maybe 70, 78. The first gym I joined was actually an Arthur Jones gym. Yeah, I was really excited back then. I always admired, you know, like you know, all the bodybuilders of the area, you know, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Frank Zanes, even pre that. You know, Hercules, Steve Reeves, always wanted a good physique. Couldn't wait to start working out. The first um, set of weights I bought with one of those Joe Weeder, you know, those plastic weights with the sand inside. I don't know you guys know what I'm talking about. If you're anywhere near my age, 
So when I was analyzing what, what, what was the first gym to join, I found that Arthur Jones to be really scientific, really interesting, and somewhat contrarian. That was extremely, that's why it fits this. It was very contrarian back then. All the guys with the best physiques in the world, like the Arnold Schwarzeneggers, they were doing that high volume type training, you know, like two hours a day. I might be exaggerating, but you know, just super high volume training almost every single day. Whereas Arthur Jones, if you're not familiar with his concept, had a completely different, a contrarian view back then. He believed in more of that high intensity type training. Short, very intense workouts, you know, one set to, to muscle failure. You know, he invented this equipment that was really interesting. A lot of his equipment had that concept of pre-exhaustion to it. I know now there's some new science in the last number of years, 10 years, that, that says maybe pre-exhaustion doesn't work, like Arthur Jones thought it would, but that's, I think, in my opinion, that's somewhat debatable, especially if you're an experienced lifter. I think you can benefit from using some pre-exhaustion, even reverse pre-exhaustion too as well. But back then, he had all the pre-exhaustion built into the equipment. For example, like pre-exhaustion just means that when you're doing big compound movements, like say you're doing a bench press, you know, chest shoulders, tricep pushing motion, the smaller body parts like the triceps will, will fatigue and go to failure before you can fully exhaust your chest. So if you did a movement like a, a fly, say a dumbbell fly, which doesn't involve the triceps as much, and then without rest, quickly go to the bench press, you're pre-exhausting your chest, and you can now thoroughly exhaust your chest when your triceps are somewhat fresh. And he would build them into each piece of equipment. Okay, for example, there would be a fly machine on the same exact machine as the bench press. So you do a set of flies. You know, he had this concept where maybe go anywhere between 12 to 15 reps. If you can do 15 reps, you increase the rate, you know, progressive resistance. He liked a very slow, slow rep cadence, two second concentric, three second eccentric. So it was like around, say, say a five, six second rep cadence, 12 reps. And then you go to failure, you move to the next machine. And then for example, there'll be like a leg extension, no rest, right to leg press, all in the same machine. Really, really cool equipment. You know, I think, you know, three days a week, we went Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Actually, we got pretty strong too. We didn't see too much muscle gains, though, I have to say. But the reason being, I think we just, you know, we were still relatively young, 15, 16, you know, just goes, just started puberty, that type of stuff. Didn't have the hormones, the muscle up too well. So that's what kind of prompted me and my friends to actually move on to more of a traditional type, more of a hardcore type. Just the next gym we joined, now I'm going to guess this is probably 1979. You know, back then you have to remember, they're really, you know, lifting weights and even powerlifting wasn't a mainstream thing. You know, remember back then, athletes didn't even lift weights. Some did, I think like Tom Seaver, famous pitcher, I know he was actually known for lifting weights way before the day when people, when athletes were lifting weights. But most athletes were afraid to. They do a little bit of lifting, they thought it would book you up, slow you down. So you were somewhat of a contrarian, you were an outlier. If you were like a bodybuilder, if you were like a powerlifter, you were a weightlifter. So there weren't too many options. So from there we went to a YMCA, really hardcore basement type, dungeon type gym. And I have to say, this is the, this is a big difference of how gyms have changed and evolved though, because back then there was so much gym etiquette. Like for example, if you wanted to use the Olympic bench, you know, the real bench that the big guys were training on, the big gals too, and um, 
you had to be able to bench 135 pounds. That was the minimum. Or else you had to use a little kid bench. You weren't allowed to. Now you had to have the Olympic bar, 45 pounds, two 45 pound plates. If you can't do reps for 135 pounds, you weren't allowed to use that bench. You had to use the smaller bench that didn't use, that didn't require Olympic plates. You know? There was other etiquettes. Like in that gym, there's no way you're gonna grab like a pair of 15 pound dumbbells and do some nice slow curls right in front of the 100 pound doubles. Like some guy would smack you in the back of the head, not excuse me, get out of my way. They just, you just knew better, you just didn't do it. You know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of intense etiquette in there. Plus this gym, I had to say that first one to the gym, I never felt had a good feel. Uh, you know, I always think what's nice about a gym is just the feel of the gym, the people in the gym. It's not necessarily equipment, it's not how it looks. You know, it's not necessarily how clean the bathrooms and stuff are, it's just the feel of the whole gym. So we stayed there for, for about six months. And then we went to, uh, you know, what I consider to be less of a powerlifting gym and actually more of like a pure bodybuilding gym. There were some real serious, like, intense bodybuilders at this gym. But you got to remember, this is like 1980-ish. I'm still only like 17. I'm, I'm not that big. I'm not that strong. So it's somewhat intimidating going in there. And we had a lot of rules in that gym, too. Like, we had one rule, whatever amount of weight you put in your back to squat, you had to do 12 reps. You don't, if you don't do that 12 reps, don't come back the next day. You know, so we had a lot of, there were a lot of rules in the gym like that. But I remember getting pretty strong in that gym. You know, I'd, that's just when I started maybe putting on a little bit of muscle, a little size, but now I'm a little bit older. Maybe they got up to, you know, working up to maybe four or five for a triple, 162 pounds, like something along the lines of that. Now I'm getting, getting pretty strong. I never really got all that much stronger than that actually in my entire life. It's interesting, I don't even know how I did it back then. I'm sure my technique wasn't too good. <laughs> if there was a, 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 any pictures of me, I wouldn't want to see those videos of me squatting all that weight at like 19, 18 years, 17, 18 years old, you know? Okay, so from there, off to college for me, okay? I grew up in Yonkers. Now I'm going to school in Long Island and actually I, I joined an incredible, such a beautiful gym back then. This is probably the first, like say, generation of health clubs more that hit the New York area. Now, if you have to remember back then, back then, like 1980, 1981, there was no Equinox, there was no New York sports. There, there weren't any of these boutique, beautiful high-end gyms. There were mostly like YMCA's or hardcore bodybuilding gyms. You know, actually, what also was getting, you know, maybe starting up with those aerobic studios in New York City, um, but there really weren't, there weren't even that many gyms in New York City themselves. Now, every corner there's a gym, okay? So now I joined this beautiful health club. Oh my God, the bathroom's incredible. The showers, steam showers. And actually this is when I first got exposed to like trainers. You know, you know when you join these hardcore gyms like the YMCA or these bodybuilding gyms, there are no such things as trainers. Maybe the owner of the gym would show you a couple of things. You pretty much just went to the biggest guy, the guy you thought looked the best. And you said, hey, can you help me? Can you show me something? Sometimes they help you, sometimes they don't. You know, they sell something ridiculous to you. Who knows? So now I'm in a beautiful gym. I see trainers. Everyone's dressed nice. And I have to say, this gym had a pretty good feel. It really did. Everyone was nice. The equipment was incredible. You know, everything immaculate. And I wound up training there for like, for four years. Really enjoyed, really enjoyed that gym. So now I graduate college. I want to go into the fitness industry. This is what I want to do. But back then... You know, this is like 1984. You know, working at a gym was just minimum wage. Okay, previous to that, you know, I'm leaving this out. I actually was working in gyms like in the summertime. Back then too, I don't know if you remember, back late 70s, late 80s. 
there was that whole racquetball club phase. Remember, there was these big clubs, 20, 30 racquetball courts. They all started doing poorly when everyone lost their interest. And a lot of people started converting these, these racquetball um, clubs into gyms. So I actually worked in a gym in the summers, you know, in the early 80s where, you know, there was an orderless circuit in one court, universal circuit back. You know, there's a whole, you know, little free reach section. So I, I had a little experience working in gyms. But now I graduated college, you know, I really want to just work in a gym, want to own a gym one day. So the first gym I go to, it's funny, I'm still best friends with the man, with the guy who actually managed that gym. He actually married the aerobics instructor. They've been married for many years, really happy. I see them all the time. I remember showing up to this gym. It's in Westchester, New York, kind of like a high-end gym, basement space. You know, it's kind of an interesting story. The guy who opened the gym, um, he used to own a dry cleaner, really successful dry cleaner, sold the dry cleaning business because his daughter wanted the gym. So it was really interesting. You know, actually she used to work out in one of the bodybuilding gyms that was, I was talking about years ago. So he opens up this gym and actually my friend who managed, I remember showing up for the interview, he hands me this test. I said, whoa, a test, I didn't expect a test. But it turned out great because at that time I was so into studying next exercise physiology. I studied all, all the Jones papers and things like that. So I blasted through the test, did really good. Well, I also took a lot of undergraduate type. I actually did a lot of, um, I was on like kind of like a pre-med type undergraduate you know, biology, chemistry, things like that for undergraduate-wise. I was thinking about being a chiropractor, but I never did it. So I um, did great on the test, actually took the job, and I actually loved it. See, back then, back then there really wasn't personal training yet. Um, the guy who managed it, he came out of Manhattan. There was a gym called Apple, which was, and he was doing a little bit of personal training in New York, and he wanted to bring this concept into Westchester. So... What he did is that when you join the gym, this is where it's so different, I find. If you join a gym now, like I just called Lifetime, maybe they give you one free personal training session. They really just want to sell you personal training, obviously. There's nothing wrong with that. But back then, if you joined the gym, we gave you three free, pretty much personal training sessions where you get, to, you get an hour, three different sessions for free. And they really wanted to show you equipment, design a routine. And then whenever you wanted a new routine, it, didn't, it, was, it was free. You know, I would write it up on the train would design a train, design a routine for you. It was really great. But then, maybe 18, let's say 1985 now, 1986, personal training, personal training started taking off. So then we, after we, after the three free sessions, we start charging for personal training, and people loved it. Back then, early mid 80s, there were not enough trainers. It sounds, it may sound crazy now. Now everyone's a trainer, but back then. There just wasn't enough trainers. I mean, there was such demand. You were, we weren't charging much, maybe $35 an hour or something like that, but there was so much demand. Everyone wanted it. And that was big in LA. So you just, I, we had so much business, didn't even know what to do. And it's funny, I remember taking the very first personal training exam, that ACE exam. I remember taking it without the textbook because they didn't have the textbook printed yet. I took like the first test to be a certified personal trainer. And I got a little gold, I still have it, a little gold sticker on my diploma for passing this test saying, because I didn't have the textbook. There was no textbook yet. <laughs> it was really funny. Back then, I think the uh, IDEA, International Dance and Exercise Association, was one of the big certifying bodies. And then it became ACE. I'm not exactly sure where it stands now. Now, you know, there's so many ACSM and, and SCA and all that. There's so many good national certifications you can get if you're interested in becoming a uh, personal trainer. So I stayed there, you know, in this uh, Westchester gym for a few years. Then I said, okay, let me go back to New York City. That's where everything's happening. Let me go work for someone 
in New York City in one of these personal training studios. So I go to I go into the city, get a job in Soho. Gym was called Harry Hansen Hansen Fitness. He had a really successful, actually beautiful boutique style, incredibly decorated, small personal training gym, maybe four or five trainers. He was killing it there. You know, doing 150, 200 hours of business per week. Wasn't charging much though. He was more the, the lower price point, especially in the city. Remember there was Plus One, another really popular one of the original personal training gyms. So personal training was just exploding in the New York area. Even after the 1987 crash, even after that people had money for, um, you know, had money for personal training. So after working for, in Soho for about a year, I said, you know, I'm gonna go out on my own. I can do this, I'm going out on my own. So go back to Westchester, started working out of my home and mostly going to people's homes. I remember running my first personal training ad in just a local newspaper in Westchester. Instantly got calls and that's, you know, once again, there was such a demand for training. I wasn't charging much, but got busy really quickly, crazy busy. I even hired a few trainers. I was sending trainers out to people's homes all through Westchester, did, you know, was doing okay with that. Didn't have great systems for managing the trainers, but you know, hey, everything worked out, did really well. And at that time, I was working out in, in um, a gym called Westchester Health and Fitness. Now this is maybe early 90s. Now Westchester Health and Fitness was the original Equinox gym that Erico, I think that's the last name, Erico, that, that, that was the family that started Equinox. They did like an experimental gym called Westchester Health and Fitness in Eastchester, where they worked all the kinks out of it. It didn't look like an Equinox. It was a beautiful gym, actually. Another gym with a great feel. It was really well run. Well run. I really liked the guys who owned Eastchester, all the guys and the system, really great, nice people. Loved the gym, was working out there. And then what happens is they started getting big. Then they opened up their first Equinox in the city. I think it was on Amsterdam, the Upper West Side. Incredible gym. The first time I walked into an Equinox, I don't know if you guys, you know, if you're my age, you realize that you know the progression of gyms from these dungeon basement gyms to these boutique like Ian Schrager hotel field gyms, incredibly decorated, beautiful bathrooms. I mean, nicer than your house. I mean, just incredible, real cool, attractive people everywhere. Really incredible concept. That's why Equinox just exploded. They really, I think, set the stage for that whole boutique gym type concept. So from Westchester Health Office, they opened up a really nice one in Scarsdale, a real true Equinox in Scarsdale. Beautiful gym. I worked out there for like 10 years, going to people's homes, keeping a little gym. Did that for a long time. And then, you know, obviously I got married in the interim, all that, had kids. And then I always wanted to be around my kids when they were little. So I went up moving the gym. I opened up a gym in like Mount Kisco, New York, small personal training gym, you know, maybe 900 square feet, nothing big. Been in this location almost 10 years now, you know, do, doing well. But I, what I'm, obviously I want to get going this podcast. And I, I have a great YouTube channel that's just starting to take off a little bit called My Cola. I'd like you to check that out if you guys have time. Definitely check out my YouTube channel too. And the gym I'm working in now, even though I work out of my own gym, which is nice, but you know, it's nice to get away from your own gym. I just joined um, Lifetime Fitness, which is really incredible. Um, it's a Lifetime of Life Fitness. It's kind of like, I would describe it more of Equinox-like level, real high-end type gym, beautiful bathrooms, an insane amount of equipment. And you go into one of those gyms, there's, you know, there's 40 treadmills, 50 treadmills, you know, like, like things like things like that, incredible steam, sauna, 
hot tubs. But uh, you know what I have to say about that gym is I, I gotta say nothing bad against the people who own the gym. I mean the people are somewhat nice, but I don't really think it has a great feel to that gym. And actually, there also I find is that there really is no gym etiquette anymore. At least in some of these more higher end type gyms, I find them. I don't think people really even, you know, understand on how to act and how to be in a gym. For example, you have to let people work in with you. You know, when you sit on a piece of equipment, you don't own the piece of equipment. You know, you can't sit on a piece of equipment, make three phone calls. I don't know. I, I don't want to. I would never tell anyone what to do. I don't tell anyone what to do. You know, you have to clean up your weights, too. I mean, I I just was there recently. Some guy left 845s on each end of the leg press. I mean, come on. You know, that's like a normal. If you did that back, like I'm saying, in the late 70s, in one of those hardcore gyms that I grew up in, you would be physically picked up and literally thrown out of the gym. I remember this one story. Oh, this poor kid. You know, I'll never forget. I felt really bad for him, too. You know, everyone knew each other in the gym. This new kid showed up to the gym. And I maybe he's like 19, 20 years old. Actually, in good shape. Kind of like a bodybuilding looking guy he goes on the um goes to like the power rack and puts on i saw doing some shrugs works his way up to 315 then he made the mistake of um removing all 345 pound plates on one side and you know generally on olympic size rack you can only remove two now you can put 245s on one side and on the other the bar's not going to fly in the air but this kid i guess i don't know he just didn't know the three took three plates off that Olympic bar, flew in the air, made a big crash. These two guys grabbed him and physically threw him out of the gym. I never saw him. He never, he never came back. Never saw him. So I mean, that's just a little side note story. But you know, nowadays it, it just what I, I just want to like take home when it comes to the gym hierarchy is you got to be comfortable in, in, in the gym. You know, it's not like I'm saying it's not the best equipment. It's not necessarily even the cleanest or the prettiest place, but there's a feel of a gym. You gotta walk into a gym. Like before you join a gym, I, I, this is what I would recommend. Obviously, most gyms will let you go at least once for free. Some will give you a whole free week. Go to the gym, the time of day, the exact time of day, and the days that you plan on going to the gym. And see the feel of the gym, see what you think about it. And that's what makes a great gym. Like even my gym, I post a training studio. It's, you know, I think it has such a nice feel. It may not be the prettiest gym. It's a nice gym, you know. I got decent equipment, I got some older Cybex type equipment, I got a lot of free weights in there. But it's really the feel of the gym, the atmosphere, the community that I create within the gym that creates a great environment for people to work. Okay, so there you go. You know, I hope you like this first introductory podcast. You know, once again, my name is Mike Cola. You know, I've been a fitness trainer and gym owner for over 30 years. You know, if you like this podcast, you know, subscribe to it. Share it with your friends. You know, also, if you have any contrarian topics that you'd like me to cover in this podcast, definitely let me know. If any people, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you want to be interviewed by me, if you have any contrarian views, I'd love to discuss it with you in a podcast. Well, I hope you, I hope you really enjoyed it. Take care, everyone, and have a wonderful day.